Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Well, hey, um, let's get to God's Word today. Are you ready? Um, We are in a series called The Way uh, through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And um, we are going to um, message that I've entitled, Guard Your Heart. It is in Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be starting there in verse 27. So if you've got your Bible, um, you, can, you can get there. The way that I want to open up, though, is in another passage of Scripture. Because um, in another passage of Scripture, there is probably one of the most tragic stories in Scripture that I think is, is ever told. Um, it's a story of a man named... David. And you know him. You know him as shepherd boy David. You know him as warrior David who killed Goliath. Um, You know him as King David uh, who led the nation of Israel. And you also know him as David the psalmist who wrote many of the songs that we actually even sing in church today from the book of book of Psalms, so words of praise and thanksgiving to God. And and, uh, this man David was called by God a man after my own heart. David, a man after my own heart. But what may surprise you is that in this story of tragedy, um, David fell very hard. If you didn't know his story of David and Bathsheba, I want to tell you that story right now because David one day as he he was walking along his roof as the king, his army was out to war and he had stayed at home, He was walking along his roof, and he noticed one morning there was a woman named Bathsheba. I don't know if that was pun intended or not, but she was taking a bath on the roof. That sounds weird, but that was common during that day. Uh, They had bathtubs on the roof that the sun could heat up the water, and they'd have a nice warm bath. And there she was, a beautiful woman within the eyesight of David, and this is not his wife. And instead of looking away and giving her the privacy that she needed, He looked at her and lusted after her and then took the step of then asking his attendants to invite her to come to the palace so that he could sleep with her. And they ended up committing adultery with one another and she conceived and sent a message back to David. Hey, David, I'm pregnant and you are the father, a man after my own heart. Well, instead of confessing his sin, and coming clean, he, he ended up covering up his sin, and his sin got even deeper, because he invited Bathsheba's husband, she was married, husband, off of the battlefield, into the city, into, into, the, into his, his palace, where he, he fed him good food and got him drunk. And there in that drunken stupor, he, he told him, hey, Uriah, go back, go, go back to your home. I bet you missed your wife. I want you to spend the night with her. But Uriah refused and slept on the doorstep. He said, how could I go in and sleep with my wife and enjoy that when, when all of my comrades are out there on the battlefield? And he, he refused, Uriah refused. And so when, when plan A did not work of the cover-up, he, David resorted to plan B. And he sent a letter with Uriah back to the battlefield to the commanding officer over Uriah that said, hey, I want you to put Uriah on the front line. 
And when the fighting gets worst, I want you to pull back your forces, leaving Uriah there exposed. And so in essence, he would be murdered. David sent a letter asking for the murder of Uriah. And when word came back that, that uh, his commanding officer had done just that, and Uriah was now dead, he then took Bathsheba to be his own wife, living in the palace with him. A tragic story. Up until this point, we don't see any kind of remorse that David has shown over his sin. And so God in his mercy and his grace actually sends a prophet to him. And it's the prophet named Nathan. You can read about him. But instead of coming at David and saying, David, you are such a horrible sinner. You are going to hell. No, what he does is is Nathan proceeds to tell David a story. He says, there was a rich man and there was a poor man. This rich man had hundreds of sheep. The poor man only had one. And this sheep was like a, like a family pet to them. The children loved it. They, they welcomed it into their home. They, they played with it. It was dear to them. And one day the rich man came to the poor man's house, demanded that sheep, took it for himself, killed it, slaughtered it, and roasted it for a family party. Now David, hearing this story, he was, he was enraged. He was like, who in the world would do such a thing? This is somebody in my kingdom. Man, he, he, let me know who this man is. And, and he deserves to come and receive the death sentence. He deserves to die. Nathan turns to David. And he says, David, you are that man. You are that man. And David now has realized the severity of his sin. He's now been convicted of it, and he repents in tears, with weeping and sorrow. He repents and confessed his sin to God. And what we see is actually in the scripture, in in the book of Psalms, chapter 51, we see some of his words of confession. We see him saying this to the Lord, Lord, have mercy upon me, O God. According to your steadfast love and according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David, a man after God's own heart, not because he was righteous, but because he was repentant, because he came with a, with a heart as a poor spiritual beggar before the Lord and confessed his sin, expressing his need for the Lord to save him. And that today is, as we come to this passage of Scripture, the, the way that um, I believe that we also need to approach this passage. Um, as one of our values here at Valley Church is that, that we preach the Word of God, we preach right through it, we take whole sections of the Scripture and we preach through it. Oftentimes in other churches, you come to, to a section of Scripture like this that we're going to talk about in the Scripture in, in the following week that we're going to look at, and it's going to be especially a difficult subject. That some people would be tempted to say, oh, let's just, let's just skip over that. That's a little too personal. That's a little bit, um, you know, that's off limits. We're not going to talk about these things. But here at Valley Church, we talk about them because it's important that, that we do because it exposes us for who we are before a holy God. 
and it changes our hearts. And the, subjects that, the subject that we're actually going to be talking about today is the subject that Jesus talks about in his Sermon on the Mount. And it's the subject of lust and adultery. And in, in, uh, in the coming weeks, actually, we're going to have Mother's, is Mother's Day next week? Mother's Day is next week. I better get ready. All right. But the week after that, then, is going to be another <clears throat> difficult subject as well. Um, it's the topic of divorce and, and marriage. And each of these subjects, we, we want to approach with an attitude of grace, attitude of the gospel, because, man, as, as we point them out to ourselves, man, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to feel bad. We're not going to feel good. It's going to cut us down. It's, it's, it's going to reveal some of the areas in which maybe we have sinned or failed in the past. And, and the way that Jesus comes at it is, is that he wants us to see ourselves for who we are so that we can receive the grace of God. We can receive mercy from Him. And it's not about making us feel bad about ourselves. It's making us see our need for a Savior, Jesus Christ. And so as we approach this topic, I, I just want you to know we're gonna, we want to approach it with grace. I don't want to say more than what Jesus said. I don't want to say less than what Jesus said. But I want you to hear the heart of God for you, His heart of love for you. Just as He said, I've come to seek and save the lost. That's you, that's me. And so he's going to reveal our hearts today. Let's get to the scripture though. And it says here in Matthew chapter 5 verse 27, he says, you have heard it that it was said. You have heard that it was said. You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In essence, what we see in this scripture is that we get this, you are that man moment ourselves. And this, this sin that Jesus is talking about here is an, is an equal opportunity offender. Both men and women can fall into this trap of lust. And what Jesus is actually talking about specifically is he, he's, he's, he's addressing this thing that, that he's confronting our own self-righteousness, which doesn't actually exist if you didn't know that. You cannot be righteous in and of, of yourself. Your righteousness doesn't come from yourself. Now, if you think that um, you're a Christian MVP because maybe you were a virgin when you got married, Jesus reveals your heart. Maybe you think that, 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 that you have, have the edge on someone because you've never been divorced or you've never committed adultery. Maybe you think that you're a better Christian because you've not gone all the way with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. What Jesus tells us here is that even if we haven't committed that physical action, what is happening is that we may have a heart that has wronged God and wronged others. Therefore, we need the grace of God, and we ourselves are sinners. See, you may be faithful to your spouse, but you may have a wandering eye. You may be in, in, uh, in a relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend, and maybe you've not gone all the way, but your thoughts have gone there. Maybe... You only watch G-rated movies, but you got an X-rated imagination. Jesus reveals our heart. 
Maybe you're a virgin, but you still have a heart full of lust. You name it for yourselves. What Jesus is exposing is you are that man. See, often I I believe that we like to point fingers at other people when it comes to these kinds of sins, don't we? We like to think of the sexually immoral as those that have committed adultery, those that fornicate, those that maybe attend nightclubs or are addicted to pornography, those that, 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 that read immoral things. And what Jesus is doing is as we're pointing fingers at them, as we're saying those are the people that are sexually immoral, what he's telling us is look at your hand. Look at those fingers that are pointed back at yourself. You need to only look at yourself and look into your heart and see you are a sinner who is in need of the mercy and grace of God. See, what Jesus is showing is that God is not evaluating us based upon our outward actions only. The Lord looks at us and he sees our heart. And the point is this, who you are on the inside is who you are. Who you are on the inside is who you are, because Jesus sees it all. Anyone convicted yet? I know I am. And if you listen to this teaching, and already maybe you're feeling knocked down, can I just encourage you, don't get up. Don't get up. Because if you remember back at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, what is the way that Jesus began? He began by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Man, if you are feeling poor in spirit right now, because man, maybe you've not done something like that physically, or maybe if you have, man, you come to Jesus as a spiritual beggar. You come to Jesus realizing your need for his forgiveness as a spiritual beggar, it's it's this picture of you're on your knees before God, you're holding out that tin cup, and you're just like, Jesus, help me. I need you. I need you. I can't do anything else. And you're raising your hands saying, help me, God, help me. That's where Jesus wants each of us to be. There's no place for self-righteousness before him. And that's the point of his message here. But in case we get the wrong idea about what Jesus is communicating. The first thing that that I believe he wants us to know is that adultery is not someone else's sin, it's our sin. But the second thing that I I believe that he wants us to know is, is this. What is good, God has guarded. What is good, God has guarded, okay? And what is good should be guarded also by us. As we read on, what, what Jesus is saying is that I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What God is, what God is communicating to us at this point is, is not just that adultery is bad and lust is bad and so don't do it or you're going to hell. That's not just what he's teaching. No, he's teaching so much more. Because as with every sin that God exposes, what he's saying is that there is something good that I am guarding for you that I've placed walls around so that it can be protected and preserved. He's talking about marriage. He's talking about specifically about sexual intimacy in marriage. And what he's saying is that when there is lust, 
Sex is not the problem. Lust is. And lust is this desire to get what you don't have, to own and dominate what you don't, what you don't own. And that's a problem. When someone looks at a man or a, or a woman with lustful intent, okay, that, that's the point, lustful intent. You're, you're scheming within your minds to do things that are wrong toward them when they're not your husband, they're not your wife. You're imagining scenarios in your mind. You're undressing them with, with your mind. He's saying that is wrong. Because either that person is going to be someone else's husband or wife, or that person is someone's husband or wife, and they are not yours. And what he's saying is that when it comes to marriage, marriage is supposed to be a place of oneness and a picture of who God is. What is good should be guarded. Can I just, just let you know, for, for, um, just for your own um, knowledge of this, God is not against sex. He's not. Think about it. God created sex. Sex is not something that we have to clean up. It's something that's good. It's something that's beautiful. It's something that is pure. And so when it comes to marriage, what what God said about marriage is that, that sex is to be kept within the high walls, the high bounds of that covenant relationship. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing that God intended for us to practice. He, he, he doesn't look, look upon us and, and, and at married couples and look and see them having a sexual intimate moment, think, oh, uh, what are they doing? He doesn't do that. He's like, that's good. That's beautiful. And that's my intent. That's my design. But only there, because just as a fire can provide warmth, and, and, and can be functional and, and provide, you know, cooking. You know, you can cook things and bake things and make things with, with a fire within its fireplace or within a stove or an oven. So fire can also be destructive it's, if it's out of its oven. If it's out of those walls, it's out of its container. And that's what God is warning us against. He's saying, keep that fire within the bounds of marriage because I created it for good. Don't take it out of that. His encouragement is keep that within marriage. I want to take you to a couple passages here. The first is this in Genesis chapter 2, 24. Jesus um, was an agent of creation there, speaking by his by his word, the creation, and he said. He said, um, therefore, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, and he talks about marriage. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, and he shall hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And it says that the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Isn't that beautiful? God intended for marriage to be a picture of the oneness, the covenant relationship that he has with his church, a a, a relationship of unconditional love and sacrificial love. It's a choice, and that's what marriage is supposed to be. In the book of Mark, in the gospel there, Mark says, what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. 
And that's the beautiful thing about marriage, is that um, it is designed to be that picture of unconditional love from one spouse to another, an imperfect person. You're not looking for that perfect ideal. No, you're looking for another imperfect person that you're going to make a commitment to for life and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be um, who I am with you. You're going to be who you are with me, and we're going to love one another no matter what comes in sickness, in health, in joys, in sorrows, till death do us part. Marriage is a picture of God's love for each one of us. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, it says, says there in Scripture, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. I want you to notice those two words, kept pure, kept pure. Too many of you have developed this mindset that sex is dirty, sex is wrong, sex shouldn't be talked about, sex should be avoided, you should put to death those sexual thoughts, those sexual feelings that you may have in you, okay? Don't forget, God created you with these desires. And these desires are in you so that they can be directed for good, directed toward a marriage relationship. And I'll tell you, whenever there's someone that is struggling in a marriage relationship, you know what the first things to go is? Sexual intimacy. And if you're struggling right now, if you're wondering, How, how's my marriage, man? Check that. Monitor your sexual intimacy. Because God created that for good. To bring you together, to, 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 show, to, to illustrate this one flesh relationship. Not only is it for pleasure, but it's for the creation of children. And that's what God created it to be. And so, so what is good, God is saying, should be guarded. He's not condemning these kind of things. He's not condemning sexual intimacy. He's directing it toward marriage. And so if you are not, if you have these desires and you're like, man, you're frustrated and you're like, I, I just wish they would go away, they're there for a reason so that you get up off your couch, you go find someone else that loves the Lord, and you go get married, okay? That's what God wants for you. It's a beautiful thing. So adultery is not someone else's sin. It is our sin. What is good should be guarded. If you're taking notes, um, here, here's the third thing that I believe that he's communicating, is that we should give holiness a hand or an eye. And so since we understand God's heart, his heart is that these things are good. He wants us to have them but man, we can sure misuse them. What he, what he says is this, we need to guard ourselves and give holiness a hand or an eye. Here's, here's what he says. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, Cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. Man, some of you are thinking, okay, Jesus, calm down. You've gone a little too far with this. I don't know about you. Man, there are some people that have actually done this and that have then realized that this is not what Jesus meant. 
Because, man, you can pluck out your eyes so that you don't look, look at things that will cause you to lust. You can cut off your hands, but can you still lust inside, even as a blind person? Absolutely. So what Jesus is teaching is not self-mutilation. And I tell you what he's teaching. What he's teaching is, it says, if, if your eye causes, if your eye causes you to sin, here's the concept brought with me today, a trap. And on this trap, you'll see that there is what is called a bait stick. That's the center of that trap, that if, if it, it is triggered, it is going to snap whatever is in these jaws in it and hold it there, okay? And if there's something in this trap, man, it's going to break toes, it's going to break feet, it's going to break hands, I mean, whatever it is. And so what he's saying is this, if your eye is the bait stick that causes you into sin, you're going to be trapped. So you got to do whatever is necessary to avoid it. You got to get rid of whatever is, is in front of you that is ensnaring you and trapping you, okay? Because it is better that you lose one of those members and your whole body be thrown into hell. Some of you, you're feeling enslaved right now to that thing that you are lusting after. Maybe it's not just a sexual desire. Maybe it's something else. But man, maybe, maybe it's your eye that keeps, keeps drawing you toward looking at someone with lust. Maybe it's your hands that just, just desire something more than what you have. I don't know what it is, but whatever, whatever that bait stick is for you, if you continue to indulge in it, what it's going to do is it's going to entrap you, it's going to chain you, it's going to imprison you with your desire. Jesus wants to set you free. Jesus wants to set you free. A couple, couple scriptures that go with this. I want to just bring you over to the book of, um, uh, let me get here a second. The, um, the book of 1 Corinthians. Actually, sorry, I'm going to go to James. I'm going to go to James first. Where are you? There you are. In the book of James, he actually talks about this. He explains a little bit of what Jesus is, is saying. He says, each person, when he is tempted, he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. He's talking about this progression, and you actually see this in the story of David, didn't you? Desire was conceived gave birth to sin. He called upon Bathsheba. They committed adultery together. Sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Not only was there a murder, but there was a death in, in David's heart because he had separated himself from God. There's a man who, uh, by the name of Ralph Waldo Emerson, said this, So a thought, reap an action. So an action, reap a habit. So a habit, reap a character. So a character, reap a destiny. The progression of sin. What I call this is the slippery slope of sin. And what Jesus wants to save you from is he wants to save you from that. If, this, if there's something that is in your life that is tempting you, that is enslaving you, what Jesus says is this, cut it off. 
Do something extreme to cut yourself off from that thing. Okay, can I tell you personally what we've done is that because the internet is wide open, what we've done is, is, is and you need to come to this place as well, just realize you're weak. It's okay to say you're weak. And what we've done in our home, not only just for myself, but for our whole family, is that we've put, we've put a, a, a wall around our internet, basically, that doesn't let us out of safe websites. And it's called Covenant Eyes. It's based upon the scripture that talks about making a covenant with your eyes. And for, for us, that was the bait stick. The thing that, that caused us to want to have something that, that was out of bounds, that was enslaving, okay? So if that's for you, I just want to encourage you with that. If that's the next step that you need to take, it may be something else. It may be saying, I, I'm not going to drive with a coworker alone. I'm not going to go to that bar. I'm not going to be found in that place. I'm not going to go to that person's house because I know that it's a temptation. It's the bait stick for me to go into that sin. And if you don't want to be slaved or entrapped by that sin, you'll cut off the temptation at its source. Jesus wants you to be free. And that's what he's offering for you today. And so my question is this, what do you need to do to free yourself from that, to cut off the source? Give holiness, it says, a hand or an eye. Give holiness a hand or an eye. Here's another point. I believe that Jesus is making this very clearly. He's saying this is not a game. This is not a game. Matthew 5.30, he goes on to say, it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. It's better. Can I ask you, what in your life only makes sense if there is a heaven and there is a hell? What in your life only makes sense if there is a heaven or if there is a hell? Because I'll tell you, you must be willing to take drastic action against that sin that leads. In 1 Corinthians 10, 12 through 13, it talks about that and it says this, let therefore anyone who thinks, anyone who thinks that he stands, take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with each temptation, he'll also provide a way of escape so that you can endure it. Isn't that a great promise from God? So he's saying, when, when this trap is ready, ready to be snared upon you, when, when, when this trap, when that bait stick is there, it's right in front of you, and you're looking at it, you're wanting it, and, and all you can desire is for that thing, what he's saying is, man, you don't have to fall into that trap. You can walk away from it. He provides every time a way of escape. And man, you think about anything in your life right now, what you need to do and go home and do is you need to think, what can I do to escape that trap that Satan is setting for me right now? I want that escape. I desire it. And man, maybe tell a friend. 
talk to your community, to your church, to your 242 group. What is it that is ensnaring you, that's holding you captive, that you want to be free of? What Jesus says is that there is a way of escape. There's a way of escape for you. You just need to look for it, and you need to take the drastic action that is necessary to get away from it. Give holiness a hand or an eye. This is not a game. When I end with this, you don't need a cover-up. You need a covering. The difficult part of preaching a message like this is so many people think that these topics need to live in darkness. And what happens is that when we allow them to live in darkness, they then stay in darkness and they become more of a trap for us because no one's willing to talk about them. And what I want to tell you is that if you're struggling in sin, your tendency is going to be to want to cover that up, to hide yourself. And that's not where you need to go. What Jesus calls you to do is to confess your sin to the Lord confess your sin to others and bring it into the light. And when you do, he will forgive, he will heal, and he will cleanse you. First John 1 verse 9, it says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. David was not a man after God's own heart because he was righteous. He was a man after God's own heart because he was repentant. And so can I ask you, what is God asking you to do right now so that you can be a man or a woman after his own heart? Never mind the shame. Never mind that darkness that you may be feeling right now. Jesus wants you to come to the light, to expose yourself to him, and he promises to forgive and heal. And believe it or not, whatever you've done, whether it be just in your heart or whether it have been with your hands, he promises to heal and to restore. He can restore, and he will do it. She'll just come into the light. And so as we close, what I want to do is I want to just pray for us, and I want you to just take this moment. I'm going to give you a moment of silence just to ask, ask the Lord, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me, and what do you want me to do about it? What are you saying to me, Lord? What do you want me to do about it? I'm going to just give you a moment right now just to ask God that and just determine right now in your heart to take action on that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the cleansing that is offered in Jesus Christ. We thank you that even though we are weak, Lord, you are strong. And God, that you will heal and you will restore when we will just commit ourselves to you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your blood that offers cleansing. For so I just pray, Lord, right now, if there's anyone here that man is feeling hopeless, is feeling lost, Lord, that today, as you call today the day of salvation, that they would reach out to you 
confession and say, Lord Jesus, would you save me, a sinner? I am that man. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me, taking the punishment that I deserve so that I can be your child. Restore to me hope. Restore those places that are dark, dark and broken inside of me right now. Lord, I, I even pray right now for the restoration of marriages, the restoration of relationships, God. Lord, that if there's repentance that needs to happen in the house of God right here, that, that this, this time would be an open time where we can just repent of our sin before you, God, and come, Lord, into the light and walk in the light as you call us to, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you are in the business of saving souls. And we thank you, God, for the work that you have done to do that here in this place. Thank you, God, for your gift. God, that you've gifted us so much, Lord, with, with our bodies, with who we are. Lord, thank you that your desire is that we use them to glorify you with our heart and soul and mind and strength. Make our marriages here in Valley Church honor you. And God, for everything, we give you the praise. We give you the thanks. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you were impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.